even for the next game, if the defense performs well, you can't really fire him, can you? Yeah, but if he if the defense performs that well, combined with this offense, then you probably just won a Super Bowl. Oh, yes, and you don't give a fuck. You yeah, like, I don't. Bob Sutton can take a shit in your like new fancy work desk, and he won't give a fuck because he just won a Super Bowl. <laughs> stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl we're here now it's championship week we've got two big games the biggest game of all coming up and then the super bowl so uh let's get straight into it so hey we got myself here connor and we've got ronan hello how are we getting on any crack ah pretty good just uh tapping around mostly the jan like january is a very long month i'm finding <laughs> it is a bit and February, it sounds like it's going to be even longer, especially because you're waiting for the Super Bowl, but also just due to, you kind of got used to not work, and now work is like, you're two weeks back in, you're like, man, this, this work thing takes ages, I don't know what the hell's going on here. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then on top of it, you got playoff games, and they always run late, so then you're like, late Saturdays, late Sundays, like, yeah. you're you're tired going back into work. Like, it's great football, but my God, I need to make sure I book more of the Mondays off, I think, in future. Yeah. We had a, we just had our move around in work, so we just moved to new desks. Uh, so I preferred my old location, but it turns out that the spot that we went to, one, is very secluded, so I can browse and definitely do some of the podcast stuff while I'm in work. Two, and more importantly, the desk is substantially bigger than my previous desk, and I don't think anyone realized this when they moved us there. So we've got the, <laughs> we've got the fancy management desks. Uh, yeah, so we've got like an extra foot of desk, which is excellent. But no, apart from that, not anything too wild or crazy on my side. Obviously, you've been watching the Chiefs and partying out with that and everything, but we'll be talking a good bit about that during the rest of this episode. So we'll fire into the news stories. So uh, continuing on from our hiring bonanza last week, uh, I suppose we'll continue on with that. New York Giants have hired former Miami head coach Adam Gase to be their new head coach. Uh, he's an offensive coach with a record for being good with quarterbacks. Uh, that's his record. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that his tenure with the Dolphins suggested that to me. It's obviously a plan based around their rookie quarterback in Darnold who they want to provide a bit of development to and everything. Uh, although interestingly enough, Gase has already cemented his place in the New York media by having a very meme worthy first press conference where he basically looked like he had been taking a load of coke and giving it to googly eyes this is not exactly the best look for a guy who was in the media a lot for his temperament fighting with players apparently he had the locker room divided like you just think to stories like we had with Devonte parker the wide receiver who wanted to get released from them and stuff like that like that he yes. was just fighting with players throughout and everything and like we saw Sue leave there during that time period a few other people like that he doesn't seem to deal well with them so what do you think New York Jets is this set up well or is this a kind of five of the guys who we are kind of interested in are already gone we better grab something before we're stuck with Hugh Jackson yeah like I think it's a little bit of that I think obviously I think they wanted an offensive guru but of course the trend this offseason is that all those guys are being aggressively approached. And like Adam Gates, for all of his faults, and, and some of them are more obvious than others, is certainly someone who tended to have a positive relationship with his quarterbacks. With Ryan Tannehill, when he was actually available, he wasn't great, but he didn't look any worse than you kind of expect Ryan Tannehill to be. Like, I wouldn't really blame him for Ryan Tannehill. I certainly wouldn't blame him for Jay Cutler. I'm, I'm not sure how much input he had into bringing Jay Cutler in last season. Uh, in terms of that. So his status as a QB whisperer is certainly up in the air, but I suppose the Jets are saying it's a risk worth taking. Of course, now they've hired Greg Williams 
as their defensive coordinator, adding a lot more calm and non-controversy <laughs> to that coaching staff. And yeah, like like as you mentioned, the, the first press conference was incredibly weird and very memeable with his just eyes bulging from his sockets. I don't know if that was just like some poor edits because obviously those elements were picked out uh, yeah. by the media, but it just seems like it's a situation where Adam Gase doesn't need to have good people, calm people around him to make sure he doesn't go off the rails so he can focus on what he does best, which is hopefully building a good offense. But hiring Greg Williams, the general history of the organization, I'm not sure if Adam Gase is going to end up being the perfect fit for this uh, organization at the end of the day. But we'll see. If you get Sam Darnold going, then if your quarterback is humming, then you're going to have a lot of rope to work with over the next few seasons. Yeah, no, of course. And then on the inverse of this hiring, uh, Miami have now are expected to be picking up New England's linebacker coach Brian Flores to be their head coach. Uh, they obviously have to wait until New England are eliminated to make that move. I don't like this move, mostly just because, like, you know, almost nothing has gone well on that Bill Belichick coaching tree. Miami are in a full rebuild mode, and I don't know if bringing in a linebackers coach from a traditionally failing coaching tree is the best move. Yeah, and like he he was a de facto de, like defensive coordinator, but Bill Belichick likes to kind of work people through the the system before giving them the official title. But obviously Brian Flores has only been in there uh, since Matt Patricia left, so only had one year of experience in that role. And yeah, it just feels like a situation where Miami and to extent the rest of the NFC, AFC East have a tendency to just kind of pick up each other's leftovers, whether that yeah. be New England coaches or swapping coaches, as with Adam Gase. And there's nothing really in Brian Flores's like CV to let you know that this is a slam dunk. Obviously, Matt Patricia didn't really have a great season with Detroit in his first season, and he was working under Matt Patricia for a long time. And you're kind of just living in a situation where Miami, they really have no talent at all. They are, like, in terms of full rebuild, they're the most rebuildy team out there. And you kind of wonder, like, with an organization like that, that is Brian Flores actually going to to be the guy who will get to do that rebuilding? And history would indicate probably not. I think Adam Gates, when he came into Miami, at least had a reputation, a bit of hype. Whereas Brian Flores, I'm not sure that exists, and he's going to have very little rope to work with. I don't know if it's going to be Steve Wilkes bad, but... Uh, I'm kind of seeing that already, to be honest. Yeah, Cincinnati have hired, are expected to hire LA Rams QB coach Zach Taylor as their head coach again, awaiting the elimination there. Again, this is just more of the picking up anyone who's attached to Sean McVay or that type of offense thing. I don't know a huge amount about Zach Taylor, but I know that he probably doesn't have that much control over the offense in, in the Rams. Yeah, like if we thought Freddie Kitchens was a rapid ascent, we're looking at someone who was the like assistance wide receivers coach in 20 year ago yeah and then the quarterbacks coach and now he's like a head coach in cincinnati obviously we've talked in detail about that organization how dysfunctional they are underneath the hood and we'll have to see how that works out but i think at least unlike the jets and miami that organization will probably give him time to fuck up if he's gonna fuck up and if he actually does have something there and get the best out of Andy Dalton and hopefully get a defensive coordinator who can like get the pieces that they have and rebuild and get some extra talent, then they can do that. Like certainly there's the talent in Cincinnati to have a good team. Like you look at Andy Dalton, he's solid. Like I know he's not great, but he's solid. AJ Green, Joe Mixon on the offense, and on the defense you have players like Geno Atkins. They could probably do it with some new linebackers, but in in total there's actually a surprising amount of talent. It's just an organization which has a, a very long history of mismanaging that talent. We'll yeah. see if Zach Taylor, such a young coach, can actually 
navigate those waters. Yeah, they've uh, also got a bit of a reputation as kind of a cheap front office and not wanting to invest and stuff yeah. like that, so it's not a great one. Uh, we'll fly through a couple of coordinator changes because we'll go into these more in the off-season. Uh, Cleveland hired Tampa Bay's offensive coordinator Todd Munkin as OC and Steve Wilkes, the old Arizona head coach as defensive coordinator. Chicago hire Chuck Pagano as DC. Arizona hire Vance Joseph as DC. Green Bay hire Nathaniel Hackett, the old OC for the Jacksonville Jaguars as their OC. The Jags hire John DiFilippo as their OC. Baltimore promote Greg Roman to OC. Uh, this is to do with his background with, with dual threat quarterbacks, although I don't think Kaepernick is all that similar. Denver hire Ed Dontel as, as DC. Pittsburgh hire Mike Munchak as an O-line coach because they lost their O-line coach. Minnesota hired Gary Kubiak as an offensive advisor and Indianapolis have decided, and this is probably the most striking of the lot, to let Dave... Uh, to Galemio uh, to go. So obviously there was a lot of chat this year about the Colts offensive line looking very good. It had that five game streak of not allowing a sack. It's run blocking looked very good, especially since Marlon Mack got back in there behind them. But from what I gather, Dave, I'm just going to call him Dave. It's a bit easier. <laughs> Dave was one of the few McDaniels coaches who were actually hired and in place from his planned position there with them. So He's had his year, he's done very well, and uh, they're going to let him go, but they're giving him great recommendations. And to be honest, from what we've seen out of them, barring the performance against the Chiefs, which we'll talk about in a bit, that was a great O-line this year by comparison to almost every year that we've seen in Indianapolis. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably, like there's actually a fair amount of intrigue in these changes, but that's probably the one that's kind of come out of the blue and no one really knows what's happened. I think Frank Reich maybe just wants his own guy, but uh, like Dave is going to probably find work pretty quickly after his setting up his resume there in Indianapolis this season, taking one of the worst lines to one of the best. I think the disparity uh, in uh, experience between the DCs were hired, uh, Chuck Pagano, Vance Joseph, and Steve Wilkes, versus the offensive coordinators hired, Todd Munkin, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, and John DeFilippo, gives you an idea of where coaching hires are happening for head coach positions. I think like the defensive coordinator candidates, Steve Wilkes, Chuck Pagano, Vance Joseph, I think they're probably fine. They've run good defenses in the past yeah. and they're being, you know, paired with offensive minded coaches so they'll get a lot of leeway to kind of do their own thing. Hopefully there's no like I think most of them are pretty good scheme fits as well. And obviously Todd Munkin, it doesn't really matter too much because Freddie Kitchens will be running that offense in Cleveland. And then I think the two that kind of stand out to me in terms of offensive coordinators are like a Nathaniel Hackett in Green Bay. Obviously, he's going to have to go in there with the new head coach and, you know, work with him to create this new offense for Aaron Rodgers. And it's just one of those situations where, like, Matt LaFleur and John and Nathaniel Hackett, they're going to have to work with their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, to create a new offense. We'll see how that works out. There may be fireworks. We'll, we'll see. And then John DeFilippo, obviously, is the most interesting hire. Obviously, Jacksonville, they're probably getting a new quarterback. Their offense was absolute trash last season with Blake Bortles at the helm. Uh, and it's just a case of, well, he flamed out in Minnesota, but was that due to the coaching environment where the coach didn't agree with his approach yeah. to playing offensive football? Will he get more leeway? But then you look at who is running Jacksonville, and you're like, no, they want the exact type of football that uh, Zimmer wanted. They want like traditional old school football. So are they going to allow his pass heavy scheme to work if it ends up not working, whatever quarterback they end up end up with? And then Donatel in Denver, uh, it ended up being a situation where he was hired uh, as a Vic Fangio kind of lieutenant, long, long-standing lieutenant. Uh, but the Gary Kubiak thing is situation because they hired Mike Munchak and apparently reports are saying that 
Kubiak didn't want Munchak. He wanted one of his own guys. And that's the reason that Kubiak actually went from being the favorite to be OC in Denver to now being an offensive advisor in Minnesota. And obviously, we know the Denver organization. There's been lots of infighting and power struggle and stuff. stuff, yeah. And this is just another perhaps manifestation of that. Let's hope that uh, the Denver coaching room is given enough space under Vic Fangio to do their own thing and not end up being embroiled in these kind of things at the end of their tenure, uh, which hopefully will be a long time in the future. Well, obviously not from your perspective, uh, but uh, <laughs> from a from a wishing people well, Denver doing well. Uh, they certainly don't want to end up with more situations like this. Just more no. drama for an organization with too much already this season. No, of course. And there's a chat that we'll have in the off-season about this, but I am starting to, and I think it's because I'm not rarely still having my team playing at this point. They really need to change the way that this coaching hiring stuff happens. That like Literally, we can't do shit until there's literally no one left over because everyone who I'm interested in, I've watched the last couple of weeks go away. So hopefully, um, we'll discuss Bob Sutton later on. Hopefully, the lack of alternatives isn't going to feed into him being kept on for another year. Injury report, uh, we'll just stick with playoff relevant ones. New Orleans have lost defensive tackle Sheldon Rankins. He's torn his Achilles and he's gone. They've picked up defensive tackle Tyron Walker to fill the roster spot, but this is a big loss for that defense which had been performing very well up to this point. Yeah, Rankins was a breakout candidate for New Orleans and had kind of come into his own with very solid both in run and pass defense. I think it's a situation as we'll talk in the previews where based on what we just saw last week, being good against the run would be quite important going forward in the playoffs. So we'll see if this ends up being a big hole, uh, for lack of a better term, in that New Orleans defense and causing them major issues uh, and putting more pressure on Drew Brees to kind of find his groove. But yeah, yeah, major loss for New Orleans. We'll see how they handle it. And one for kind of the... The listeners who wouldn't be that used to to maybe this end of the season as much. Like when we say they've picked up Tyler Rocket to fill the spot, we're probably not expecting to see that person be a starter. They're there as a depth player to provide. They'll have someone on the on the roster who'll be rotating into there and this will be someone to replace the replacement essentially. There are not starting level playoff defensive tackles floating around in free agency <laughs> in January, uh, unfortunately. Kansas City have had some moves as well. So they've activated uh, offensive guard Dr. Uh, <laughs> Laurent Duvernay Tardif from IR. So he is now active and ready to rock. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him because obviously their line played exceptionally well last week and in the Oakland Raiders game. And the question is whether or not you want to break up that. So they have the rookie playing Laurent's position at the moment. So whether they might move the rookie to left guard or start LDT at right guard, or sorry, start him at left guard instead. But uh, we'll see at the moment that's looking at a real position of strength. To do this, they cut safety wrong Parker, which... I'll be honest, Ron Parker, a lot of people are saying, yay, this is great, Ron Parker's gone. Look, Ron Parker hasn't played excellently this year, but he has played well over previous years for us. I wish him well. He just wasn't up to scratch at the moment, and he's lost his rollout to a younger player. Probably an indication that Eric Berry is expected to be available for the last couple of games. Yeah, so that's the other thing that Ron last Parker... Last couple of potential games, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's <laughs> hoping, here's hoping. But yeah, so essentially that is the other thing, that taking another safety off the roster has two impacts. One, it means that the, it's a good indicator for Berry to possibly be ready to play, or at least play as a role player. But it also suggests that possibly Dorian O'Daniel is back from that injury that he had because he's kind of a linebacker safety hybrid. It can also free up a bit of movement in those positions. And that'll be quite important with the amount, and we'll discuss this later on, 
on in the preview, the amount of running backs coming out, catching passes to have a speed side-to-side linebacker will be important to have back in the game. Controversy corner. Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray has, made, has declared himself that he's going to be entering the NFL draft. Uh, he reportedly made massive demands on the Oakland A's team who had drafted him. So for those who aren't aware of this, Kyler Murray is a multi-sport athlete who's coming out of college and there was question marks over whether he would go to the NFL or to uh, Major League Baseball. One of the reasons for this is while he's a quarterback who's played very well in college, he has size concerns for playing in the NFL. I believe people are saying that he might be listed around 5'9", 180, which is way too small. Like, that's my weight in a smaller frame. Like, that's not good. And then to think that that would be getting hit by, like, you know, 360-pound nose tackles is literally horrifying, whereas it would suit the, the, the Major League Baseball more. But he apparently was requesting, like, additional money from the from the league. I think it was, like, 15 million extra or something from the Oakland A's yeah. to say that he'd declare for them. Yeah, and he's basically looking for a Major League contract, which for who is... If you're not familiar with baseball, basically... Players who are drafted, even ones in the first round, uh, like uh, Kyler Murray was, they generally go to the minor leagues, they earn their stripes, and then they move up to the major leagues uh, at, at, like a few years down the line. They get fully guaranteed contracts, but they're pretty low paid. And there's actually a whole thing in, in baseball right now with free agency being very non-profitable uh, for players who are free. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the draft. Obviously, there's a lot of time between now and the draft in terms of him discussing what his future is. But some early draft analysts are saying he's like a second day pick, like a second rounder or a third rounder. But with the way that quarterbacks are hyped up, you're talking about a Heisman Trophy winner. You're talking about someone who just won the Heisman from the same offense as Baker Mayfield. Yes, there's concerns over his size. Yes, there's concerns over his durability. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that if you have that kind of production from in the same offense as the or this year's number one pick who just had a rookie of the year type campaign then people well, I think he's you know, now officially rookie of the year didn't yeah. he get that two days ago yeah so uh, like you're talking about teams it only takes one or two teams to get that notion and this is a guy who could easily jump into the first round uh, we just know we know draft season is crazy in terms of quarterbacks so like you know this current conservatism we'll see but obviously for Kyler Murray himself and obviously there's a concern that he doesn't want to play football, he prefers baseball. But in terms of Kyler Murray himself, you're looking at a situation where like his decisions are influenced by his like rec- like what he thinks he's gonna be drafted as. So this is not over by a long shot. We're gonna be talking this during draft season, free agency, etc. And along with uh, Haskins, who's the probably the number still probably the best quarterback even with Kyler Murray in it, he's the one who could really add a lot of extra spice in terms of teams who are desperate for that quarterback of the future. Yeah, 100%. Like One of the main concerns it will have with this guy will be whether or not he's fully dedicated to football because if if he's wishy-washy about wanting to do it over if he was to be a third-round pick versus a first-round pick, then like you sure as hell don't want to be the, the team that spends a first-round pick on someone who washes out because they don't care. Uh, but like we said, this will be a big story for the offseason. Uh, cry- uh, there's no crime of punishment this week, I don't think. With, oh, with the exception of attack, oh, the Sosa-Wonary crime, Tack McKinley's bay was picked up by the guards and they had a mental health assessment on him after his friend called saying he's worried about them it sounds like a kind of party drug situation type thing where he had a bad trip but uh, we'll see whenever we get more on that. Uh, trades, Carolina are not expected to renew linebacker Thomas Davis. They also came out this week with an unusual statement saying if Cam has to sit out next year because of injury, he has to sit out next year because of injury. We'll, we'll, we'll work through that. And yeah. 
Yeah, like, like kind I, of came a bit out of left field. Yeah, like I, I thought I actually read over the quote exactly. I don't have it to hand, but the way I read it, it seemed like more of a hypothetical where they're like, if we thought that we needed to rest him a year to get him right, then we would do that. But the subsequent quotes where he talks about what that would entail from an organizational point of view kind of seems like it seems like a hypothetical that's been blown out of proportion in my opinion, like I, if you read over the quotes exactly, the full quote, you'll probably like probably end up agreeing with that. In terms of Thomas Davis, it's probably just important because obviously this is a, uh, you know, a legend of the team. And obviously, you know, like as a Kansas City Chief fan, you're obviously familiar with yeah. like a linebacker kind of reaching the end of the road and having to be released because they don't want to retire. Uh, I expect Thomas Davis will try that, latch on somewhere next season, probably get picked up during camp. But it's very possible his career is over as a full-time starter, certainly, and could easily be over in general, and he may not make it to uh, the, the, the regular season. Uh, but obviously his his CV in, Pan, in the Panthers uniform can't be uh, yeah. disagreed with, and he'll 100%. be a major loss to that organization. No, no, Cer- no, certainly time. ended better than other Panthers legends have ended over there. Yes, yes. Uh, etc. <laughs> yeah, there's a few that kind of maybe didn't finish up in the in, on the best terms. He, he uh, seems to be fairly sanguine about it. Like. <laughs> Other bits of news, uh, former Atlanta head coach Mike Smith is retiring from coaching at this point. I don't know, like, was there many people crying out for his services? Yeah, I think this is, you know, not necessarily... Mu- mutual but, disinterest. Yeah, and I think, you know, similar to Mike McCarthy, who's going to take a, a year out for his family, he may be back next season, but it's just a case where... If there's no, if there's no like, if there's no desire for it to be picked up, then you might as well focus on your family and stuff. There was actually an article about Jeff Fisher last week, which had a similar theme. Him like, I'd love to come back to football, but I love, you know, fishing and and hunting and <laughs> staying on my ranch, I'm, basically. I'm 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 pretty okay at all those things. I'd say I'm just just shy of about fifty percent good at them. <laughs> There's, there's another story that's doing the rounds about New Orleans, but we actually got a couple of questions in about that, so we'll move it. But basically it involves a whole pile of cash and a couple of armed guards. So with that, we'll move on to the game reviews from last week. So first up in the divisional games was Indianapolis at Kansas City. This one was 13-31. to 31, And I shit you not, this was even at that scoreline, I was not relaxed until the game was actually finished, given all the worries for curses and everything and seeing them come back from bigger deficits previously. Uh, Kansas City dominated all parts of this game. It was a nice snowy snowball, but it didn't seem to slow down the offenses all that much. Uh, Kansas City worked on both sides of the ball. Offense performed well. Defense performed remarkably well. They held Indianapolis's offense to six points. They scored their other seven on a uh, on a special teams mistake Punt. while the Chiefs yeah. were punting. Uh, the D line we got in there. Chris Jones had uh, I think three or four uh, pass deflections himself, as well as a strip sack. And you know Houston, I think two sacks and a recovered fumble. Uh, the rookie DBs Lucas and and them stood up really really well. The fact that it took this long to make the move from Parker and Scandrick is a damning indictment on Bob Sutton's inability to adjust, even when it's not in game. He <laughs> just about the man a break. Come he just, on. he just about adjusted in season, but this is this is my worry coming in. The defense played excellently. Indianapolis didn't have a clue what they were doing. Looked outmatched pretty much across the board. Bob Sutton might not get fired because if this defense f- is able to perform like this for the next two games, you can't even for the next game if the defense performs well, you can't really fire him, can you? Yeah, but if he if the defense performs that well combined with this offense, then you probably just won a Super Bowl. Oh, yes. And you don't I'm, give a fuck. You yeah, like I don't. Bob Sutton can take a shit in your like 
new fancy work desk and he won't give a fuck because he just won a Super Bowl. <laughs> that, is, that is rather, rather true. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, look, as you were saying, like I think the uh, the defense firmed up a bit. They've made some changes. That front line of Chris Jones, uh, D Ford and Houston has really come into its own over the last like two months of the season. And that and, and against what we was statistically the number one offensive line made them look crap basically and then as we mentioned the defensive backs you got all those new young defensive backs and they had a rough start there's no doubt about that i even a few weeks ago back in the seattle game they yeah, were getting torched a bit picked on but i think you know the one advantage with young players is that they improve every week and bob sutton or whoever's the defensive backs coach is doing a good job of getting those guys more confidence more ready and with that defensive line they're able to you know they're not put under too much pressure usually so they can get that done it'll be a different kettle of fish next week obviously with a more uh quick hit offense but uh right now you got to be really happy with that defense and i, I yeah and i think you just have to look at that offense and it's something special right now oh 100 percent. like uh Damien, the, the 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 back is getting huge production at the moment uh they're really not missing kareem hunt at all at the moment as well like it's 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 firing on all cylinders it's going to be very interesting we'll talk about it in the previews for the for next week's games but like kansas city's offense is rolling well if their defense can perform like this they're going to be a very hard team to match up with yeah and i think the one thing that differentiates i think what's happening in this game and what could help you like you know go over the hump Versus what was happening kind of in the last like last bit of the season where you kind of stumbled a bit. More reliance on Damian Williams. Even that Seahawks game that you lost, Damian Williams was getting plenty of yards. He just went away from the second half. And then the return of Sammy Watkins. I know oh, he had a fumble, huge. but he adds that third element that takes enough attention away from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. That basically means that you can't cover them all. Travis oh, yeah. Kelsey... I think he had seven catches for 108, and every single one of them was basically a first a first down conversion yeah, of around think, as, 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 10 as, to 15 yards. Everything apart from one catch was for a first down, and the one that wasn't for a first down was 16 yards to make it second and one. Yeah, like just, that's huge. Like just that, like just having someone like Sammy Watkins instead of Chris Conley, and like no offense to Chris Conley, I well, think yeah. it's just. I'd take Demarcus Robinson over Chris Conley at the moment because I don't think Chris Conley ever really came back fully from that ACL injury. But I think teams are genuinely, they have to account for Sammy Watkins. And yes, he's probably getting overpaid for like the six, like half the games of the season he actually plays. But if the games he plays are at this point of the season, then that investment might look pretty smart uh, from oh, the, yeah. the end 100%. of all this. 100%. Andrew Luck obviously didn't have a great game here, but they got good players and young players on both sides of the ball. They're a well-set-up team with, I think, 120 million in cap space somehow. Somehow they have that much <laughs> next year. And a load of picks in, I think, three or four picks in the top 100. So they're well-set-up, but there is definitely work to be done here for them. Yeah, I think this was a great overall season. I don't think anyone expected them to go this far, and they have to be really happy with what they have in Andrew Luck and uh, Frank Reich. I think in terms of this game... I wouldn't take too much away from it. It was a tough conditions, obviously freezing cold, snow conditions, and in Arrowhead, obviously one of the toughest places to go and play away. So I just think it's a team that kind of, they looked a little bit starstruck, frozen out there, uh, for lack of a better term. And they just looked like a team that was overawed by the by the situation. And especially like someone like Darius Leonard, who just had such an amazing season. He was being tricked constantly by the before the snap movement by Tyreek Hill. That's something which will he'll have to learn about uh, if he wants to elevate into like the Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley school of elite linebackers. But given what he all, we've already seen this season, there's no reason to doubt that he can make that next step with an additional season of coaching. And with all those picks, with all that cap space, there's no reason that they can't invest more talent on both sides of the ball if you have a good 
offensive line already. You have Andrew Luck. You have T.Y. Hilton. Add a couple more weapons on the offense. Uh, add to your D-line uh, in particular, and you could have an easy Super Bowl contender coming next season. No, of course. Uh, next up was Dallas at the LA Rams, 22-30. to Yeah, like, LA beat down Dallas at their own game. Two of their running backs went over 100 yards. C.J. Anderson has been a phenomenon in this uh, in, in, in this uh, playoff run the last two weeks of the year. Interesting, because he was one of the ones that we brought in in Kansas to, to interview as well, and he was our 1A to, uh, to when we selected Williams. This is definitely looking like a championship offense when they have that kind of weapons coming out of there. Dallas weren't really able to get out of their own way. Their linebackers played okay, but weren't able to bring... Like we said, going into this game, their linebackers had to stop that run game, and they just were not able to do it. The Rams' defense looked better. Sue had what I reckon is probably his best game in a Rams uniform so far in this game, just wrecking people down the middle. Their offense... It stumbled a little bit like yeah they were methodical with the run game but like they we didn't see the explosion that we saw during the year and again like this was a concern we said going into the playoffs that the Rams haven't been as hot on offense as they have been throughout most of the season now their defense stepped up in this one but I'm not sure like what what do you make of this is this just a do enough to get it done in this scenario or is this a concern for them if they have to play say the Saints decide to make it a high scoring game yeah, I think it, I think it is a concern. Certainly, that the things that they were doing well earlier in the season, they aren't doing as well now. I think the loss of Cooper Cup can't be underestimated. I think he just added that a chain moving ability along with Robert Woods that really just kept them ticking along and getting the uh, setting up those bigger plays. And I think with Josh Reynolds, who kind of gone into that role, this haven't been the same. They've also like probably more tight end action to try and do it. And like it, it was that kind of like. There, to a certain extent, perhaps, that, that that offense, which was so explosive with the uh, three wide receiver set, working just from a base offensive package and then just iterating off that, maybe it got figured out to a certain extent by the time we got back to the end of the season. But good coaching, as we well know, is about adapting, as we'll talk about in the next game. And we can see that the Rams here, they knew they had other talent on this team and they've adapted around that on the offense they get the run game going. They go, well, similar to what they did earlier in the season, they brought back Todd Gurley and said, okay, let's run over these teams and let's do it effectively. And they, like, to be fair, they got to do that because their passing offense is respected enough that Dallas couldn't stack the box like they did against Seattle. And when these linebackers who are so highly vaunted were exposed and had to do things like had to make open, ta- open field tackles by themselves, they were made to look foolish uh, by Todd Gurley and C.G. Anderson, who is a, a, you know, it's a, it's a ridiculous story coming here for him and well done. Obviously, he was someone I was hyped about in the offseason. Yep. And I think it's just a situation where if their D, if their defense is stepping up, if Sue uh, steps up, that's a huge difference. And with Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters now back at full health, like I think their defensive, their secondary has become a lot better than it was in that kind of mid-season swoon. And obviously they have Aaron Donald, who's just Aaron Donald then it's a very different team than perhaps we would have expected when they won that game against the Chiefs, which changed history, as we all thought at the time. Mm-hmm. But it is a team which is effective and playing football that we know can be effective around here. If they get into a shootout, can they go back to their old ways? We'll see. But I think the fact that they've shown enough adaption to change their scheme and beat a team who's supposed to be good at the things that they showed they're good at here is the sign of a team that no one should uh, take for granted. And then, like, if we have a look at this Dallas team, like, we all kind of thought they were overperforming a little bit, I think. Like, they've got a good young linebacker core. They've got their pieces there. But, you know, I, I question some of the coaching that's there. I question some of the big-picture planning. Like, 
going into almost any matchup that they could have had at this point, I'm going to side with the coaching ability of the other teams that are in the playoffs. They've got Dak Prescott, Cooper, and Elliott, who are all due paydays. They don't have that much in cap space because they've got shitloads locked up in that offensive line, which haven't been as good this year as they have been in previous years. Like, is this a spot where potentially this Dallas team, this is the height that they hit and they've missed the window with their offensive weapons on small contracts? Yeah, I think it's a situation where you look at the avenues for growth for this team and the only one that could make a huge difference, you feel, would be Dak Prescott taking the next step. And like I, I've liked Dak Prescott down the stretch. He's done some good things. But at the end of the day, can you trust Dak Prescott to be to grow into a franchise quarterback who can like basically carry the offense by himself? Because the simple fact of the matter is, is that every time that Ezekiel Elliott has been shut down for the Cowboys since he was drafted by them, they struggled to do anything. And that was the case here. Ezekiel Elliott held to less than 50 yards. They get absolutely tranced for most of this game. Like, I think they like they did okay in the first half, but in the second half, they just kind of fell off very quickly. And you kind of look at all the money they'll have to invest in. Like, I think Ezekiel Elliott, like, he's probably worth the money, even if running backs is one of those situations where it's hard to justify and because of injuries, etc. But Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, are these franchise cornerstones? But if you, I'm not, you've, you've already spent a, a first-round yeah. pick on Amari Cooper, so you know they have to be planning to keep him. Yeah. And like, and with Dallas, we know that Dallas is one of those teams that once they have their players, once they have their guys, they do end up tending to pay them. And like at some point, that will lead them back into the kind of cap hell we've traditionally associated with them. It might be a season or two away. Particularly, they have the 50-year option to play with. Dak has one more year. Cooper does have to be paid this offseason, but... You can still see the same old problems coming down the road for these Dallas Cowboys. And there's no, I don't really see, I, I don't really see the things that could change between now and next season that could give them the opportunity to get that Super Bowl with the last season they might have where these yeah. guys aren't getting paid. No, 100%. Uh, next up, we have to the third game, LA Chargers at New England, one that we thought was going to be great and turned out to be the shittest of the whole lot this weekend. <laughs> New England, Belichick came out and absolutely destroyed the Chargers, who for some reason thought, you know what? That seven defensive back scheme worked really well against the <laughs> against the running quarterback who can't throw particularly well and it doesn't really know schemes or defenses. We'll use that against Tom Brady uh, and proceeded to just get destroyed. Like they stayed in zone against him the whole time, which is Brady's favorite thing to play against. They had them absolutely banged to rights. Like realistically, this could have been. 55 to, to 21 if they had just kept the foot on. Now, they left Tom Brady in. Bill Belichick took some flack afterwards for why he left the starters in so long in this game. But, uh, yeah, like, there was just such weird things. Like, was it James White is now tied the, like, all-time single-game receiving records are broken because he caught 15 passes in this game. Like, Sonny Michelle went off for three touchdowns. This was... Like, this was an excellent performance, but I find it very hard to figure out what I can take from this because the Chargers completely shit the bed. Anthony Lynn, his limitations as a coach may have been shown up here. They were able to counteract a very monotone type of team in Baltimore, who obviously were kind of making it up as they went along as the season went on. But then they come in with New England, the most chameleon-like team in the league. And on offense and defense, New England showed that Bill Belichick is still, uh, unsurprisingly, the best coach in the league. On offense, every single drive was a different thing. Sometimes it was traditional New England fast passing with Julian Edelman getting 
getting a ton of ball, uh, obviously finishing with for nine receptions, 151 yards, absolutely destroying t- like players in the open field. The next time it'd be James White, like small passes out of the backfield. The next drive, it would be Sony Michel just ramming it down their throat. And every single time the Chargers defense was left reeling, it was just a situation where every time the Chargers tried to make an adjustment, New England were already one step ahead of them and were making the adjustment to defeat that. But, 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 like, but this this is the thing that I'd say, like I don't even I didn't even see that much in the way of adjustment from them. I thought they like they they, they, they changed a little bit of the coverage patterns, but like they stuck in zone not, for like eighty percent of the game. Oh on the like on the uh, like yeah, on the defense, yeah, like they didn't make the adjustments. I think they made a few adjustments in terms of sometimes they went to more linebackers, sometimes they brought in more mm. defensive back, and every time they made that kind of simple adjustment, although they were still running the same kind of Seattle type uh, zone scheme, yeah. like like they'd go like New England would go run heavy or they go underneath heavy, and like ah uh, like a Seattle fan, uh, I can't mention the number of times where Seattle type defense has been beaten by people just throwing it down to the running back. That was there lots of times. It's just a situation where. Like, you just look at this New England offense, they're so able to change and adjust, and Tom Brady's just the perfect orchestrator for that. He probably, I think he's still, i do not sure if he can throw a deep ball anymore or a leading deep ball anymore, but yeah. who cares when you have this type of, like, intelligence. And on the defense, just to mention, they came out here with a Baltimore type, lots of players around the line of scrimmage, disguised blitzes type of defense that we haven't seen at all from them, but which looked very similar to the Don Martindale Baltimore defense and just this kind of situation that it takes an incredibly well-coached team to basically have uh, a coach pick up what that defensive scheme is doing, replicate it, and get their team up to that without have never done it in like in the regular season at all. Like, but that's the wonders of Bill Belichick when you have him on your sideline. No, of course. And like, like I said, this is a great performance all round from New England. They dominated in all parts of the of, of the game entirely. The defense were shutting things down. I don't know what the Chargers were really trying to do. There was a moment where like they drove down and responded and tied it up at seven seven. You thought maybe there's something here in a response, but th- they just they just got boat raced and they just got done. Like it was just there was there was nothing here for it. Like Rivers and the Chargers have to take a hard look now because you got to imagine he's aging out at this point a lot of their players are aging out they've got a good young core there but Rivers is the final year or two of his of his career really isn't he unless yeah. he like has I suppose he's more children to put through college but like yeah. you know this this looks like the closing of a window that they've drastically mismanaged over the whatever like 17 years of because these guys weren't that far off the same kind of they're what four or five years apart starting wise but like Rivers is looking like a completely different tale to Tom Brady of like good. They're both good. They both got the numbers. They both got the accuracy. They both got the stature yet. One has, you know, five rings and been to eight Super Bowls, and one has never been. Yeah. But I, I'm not sure I blame Philip Rivers for that. I know some people are claiming he should be, get some Eli type treatment in terms of it's his fault, like a bit more blame. Cause he's usually blameless, but I think it's a, such a situation where obviously we praise the chargers coaching last week. But this week against an elite coaching unit who obviously are are so deep into what they do, have been doing it for so long with this type of offense, which with this type of defense, they were just shown up as inadequate. And like I don't know if Philip Rivers is enough to compensate for the fact that when it gets down to the big tournament, is Anthony Lynn someone who can compete? With the with, with the Bill Belichick's with the Andy Reeds with with those type of like coaches with that kind of experience maybe he will become that but as you said there's a timer here in Chargers they don't have like five years to find a Vanty Lynn as an elite coach or not uh I think he, he he obviously based on what they did they can't fire him they have to give him more chances but 
with him, along with all the uncertainty around their stadium situation, it just feels like it's been an uphill battle for Philip Rivers all his season, all these, all his career, and I don't think that's going to fit like change next season with Pat Mahomes around. So it's going to be it's a <laughs> they, tough they, spot for him. They, they've become competent, but competent isn't enough because they found the, they become competent at a time where there's lots of other good teams who are more uh, than competent right now. Why, why couldn't we have a kicker who'd score four field goals and a half three years ago kind of thing? <laughs> um, final game from the divisional round, Philly at New Orleans. We'll try and fly through this one. Basically, Philadelphia scored 14 points in the opening quarter, looked great, and then proceeded to completely collapse and shit the bed. Only had 100 yards of offense in the next three quarters. New Orleans defense came up big. Again, similar to this Rams and similar to what we discussed last week about both the Rams and New Orleans, their offensive haven't been coming out as quick or as strong as we would have liked to have seen. They seem to have pulled back a little bit, but both their defenses are stepping up. Philadelphia were still driving down for a, for a kind of final minutes winner when they decided to take a quick play just before the two minute warning and were intercepted off the hands of Jeffrey. But yeah, like this was a New Orleans team that the defense stepped up and did the job. The offense wasn't up to a huge amount at all, to be honest. Is this a spot where you saw a big market difference between the two teams? Or is it a spot where you think that like Philly could have easily had this? I think what we saw is that when New Orleans were playing at the talent level that they have, or at least at the talent level of their best players, they are a better team than Philly this year because Philly have gone through a lot of injuries, a lot of a lot of attrition, and like Nick Foles is obviously he's an amazing story, but I don't know if he's necessarily an elite quarterback. But I think in this game, like New Orleans got a bit lucky. Obviously, as you mentioned, they got a, an interception from Marshawn Lattimore on the final drive for the Eagles, which which kind of let them off because the Eagles looked like they were driving at that point for a game-winning. Uh, touchdown and it's just a situation where you're looking at it and you're like look New Orleans in the first half of the season were blowing teams out they haven't done that really uh, in like in a few months and you're kind of wondering when are they going to get back into the groove when are they going to do this and I think in this team they were only really saved because a couple of their really good players decided to step up and save their ass. And one of those wasn't really Drew Brees. Like, Drew Brees was still efficient, but he wasn't really carrying this team. But Michael Thomas, 12 receptions for 171 yards and one touchdown, was catching everything thrown anywhere near the vicinity of him. Alvin Kamara had a couple of, like, really important uh, runs, especially on that, like, to close things out as well. He just, like, when they needed him, he, he kind of showed up. And on the defense, obviously, Marshawn Lattimore not only getting... That, uh, that getting that interception on the final drive, but getting the interception would stop Big Dick Nick on his third drive uh, with an interception, which kind of really turned the turned the game yeah. around. Because at that point, if the Eagles had like gone down the field and scored another touchdown, or even really got another field goal and were three scores up, you kind of feel like the Saints may have struggled a bit more. Maybe the wind would have been out of the stadium a bit more. But I think the second that Lattimore went in for what was a very impressive pick, to be fair, um, it got the fans back into it. It got the team back into it. And from there, like the defense kind of shut down the Eagles so we know they're not the perfect offense. And then the offense did enough, ground out enough over the next three quarters to get them home. But like really, if we if we were talking about a dominant New Orleans team, we wouldn't be looking at 20 points. We'd be looking at the 30, 40 points we've historically expected when Drew Brees is on fire. Are we going to see that in time for them to avoid elimination in the tournament? Well, we'll see. 100%. Uh, obviously, this helps with the potential QB controversy in Philadelphia because they would have had a real problem if uh, if Nick had got him won the whole lot again. But uh, we will talk more about Philadelphia in the off season, I suppose. But uh, yeah, just it, it was it was 
it was unfortunate that it was one that even though it was such a weird game and so a game you can't even say a game of two halves a game of one quarter and three quarters but yeah. like you know that they still after all of that after only putting up 100 yards had the opportunity says a huge amount about both of the yeah. teams in that game so i suppose yeah. we'll swing over and we'll take some questions from you the listener so first up emmett has asked us Clemson's quarterback Trevor Lawrence isn't draft eligible until 2021. Can anyone plausibly manage a two season tank job to get him or will there just be a regular team that stinks getting lucky? Well, there's, there's, there's two parts to this one would a team want a tank for him. And two, just for clarification, they don't need to be shitty for the next two years. They, they, they can be good and then be <laughs> shit the year afterwards. You don't, it's, it's not a, like a, a, a combined record over a period well, of time that yeah. gets there. Perhaps you're kind of taking the safer approach. If you're shit for two years, you might have accrued enough draft capital that even if someone tries to out uh, out stink you, you you can hopefully maybe uh, like throw enough king's ransom they might you, you see, get out right, of the now, way. Now, now, now here's here's my idea. My idea would be uh, almost the exact opposite. You'd want to be as good as humanly possible next year and then stink it up the year after because if you end up in a tiebreaker, you don't want to lose on strength of schedule. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, in terms of if, if you want a plan for this, uh, I've constructed uh, one easy, simple plan, one incredibly complex plan. The simple plan is just hire Hugh Jackson. Very, Always a good shout. You're probably going to get a number one pick with him. The more entertaining one might be get Sashi Brown, get Sashi Brown in the building. He loves accruing draft picks. Get that draft capital up. See what wheeling and dealing he can do. Get Blake Bortles as your quarterback so you can have fun and it'll be really ridiculous while you're getting like two wins because you're going to you know, deplete the rest of the organization of talent. And uh, get Jeff Fisher as the coach because I think... No, Fisher... no, no, no. Stepping away from that. Jeff Fisher cannot get the first overall pick. Jeff Fisher cannot not win seven games and lose nine. I think Jeff Fisher deserves a chance to try something new and see if he can achieve new <laughs> heights of mediocrity. And I think, you know, does, whatever... Does, would, it, would, it, would it make you a good or a bad coach if you were told, I want you to lose as many games as possible and you succeeded doing it? You can do an average job, but it'd be all right. But if you I, do an average I, job, you can make a complete balls of it. He's also shown to be a coach who, if he's not in on the plan, is willing to draft lot, like to trade lots of picks for a number one pick without necessarily knowing what he's going to do with it. So uh, if you need to fire him straight after you draft this guy, uh, he'll be used to that as well. So uh. perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't know enough about this quarterback to decide whether someone's going to tank for him. We'll have a chat in the offseason about tanking in general and whether it's something that teams tend to do. But uh, yeah, like I could definitely see Bill Belichick doing it and just being like i want my new quarterback now that tom can't walk anymore so yeah like because a lot a lot of people will default go to like your kind of crappy teams or your teams that are perennial kind of not 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 scoring too much i think it'll be like a mastermind who goes and decides this is my succession plan is take a year of shite kind of like the colts post manning and pick up my guy that way uh next up is greg's question he said who is going to win pro bowl mvp i don't know uh is is uh tony romo doing the announcing uh i don't know probably hopefully uh Mm. Tony Romo for MVP. Uh, Michael Dixon. There you go. He won a... He won a Punch God, he, Michael Dixon, yeah, is it? He did win an MVP award in his bowl game. Uh, 
which tells you how good that bow game was. So he is uh, able to do it. And yes, the punt god shall rise to one final challenge and be the MVP of the most important game of the season. Well, we'll obviously be doing a lot of previews next week for the Pro Bowl. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll sort it out then. But yeah, I don't know because they're all so good. It's hard to differentiate between them. This is the best of the best, the creme de la creme. Like you have to look at the important positions on the field, like fullback. Long uh, snapper. Yeah, to see who are the potential favourites for this award. Yeah, because obviously Anthony Sherman was the locked-on favourite for the MVP, but like he might not be there now, so that's a problem. Yeah. Especially in that incredible onesie that he wore to the to the training. That was uh, that was something else. Oh, no, do you know what it's going to be? Cody Parkey's going to win it because he's going to play kicker tic-tac-toe and he's going to be able to get a straight line in a single go because he's going to bounce a couple of times. <laughs> he's the perfect... He's, he's trained all his life to win that competition. Exactly, just one specific one. Um, next up is from Michael. Michael says, who has the best chance of making the playoffs next year that didn't make it this year and vice versa? Uh, we'll probably do this a lot more in depth after the season, but uh, we'll go for one that'll make it that didn't make it this year and one that made it this year that won't. Like, I think I said previously, uh, like I like the Steelers to come back and do something. I'm a bit more less uncertain since the Antonio Brown thing has come into fruition. I was tempted to go the exact opposite on that one. I was going to yeah. say that the Ravens don't make it because the Browns do. Yeah, I kind of... That's a sexy pick, but it's too much pressure, maybe. I think if the Giants get a good quarterback, I think they'll definitely compete as well. But uh, there's no one really standing out to me right now because most of those divisions are pretty competitive. I don't really see anyone that's that, that, that there's a weak spot, really. All of the people who won and made the playoffs, they're all, they all deserve to be there, basically. The Browns yeah. would be the one I want to see, though. Yeah, like in terms of ones that aren't going to get into, like the obvious one would probably be the Texans because they got absolutely shit on in the playoffs. But I don't know. Like I said, I think the Ravens might not make it because I don't think the Lamar Jackson thing is sustainable for a full year unless what they do in the offseason is teach him how to pass. Yeah, that would probably be important. The Chargers will probably find it difficult. I just That division is always a bloodbath each year and Mahomes is going to be there next year, so... Yeah, uh, that's true. I hope I hope that's true. But uh, also, I, just... I get I get a feeling that the Broncos are going to be a good bit better because I think they're going to. Then we'll get into this in the off season stuff. But I'm 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 sure I I I like their coaching hires. I still like their defensive staff, like their defensive players, and I reckon they're going to make a move on a quarterback because you know Elway seems to be at least admitting that he's made a balls of the last two years, so he might try and do something about it, but we'll see. But yeah, we'll get into that in a lot more detail, Michael, afterwards. And this one comes in from Steve, and it was, uh, we heard this week about the Saints bringing in $225,000, and uh, was it a replica or the actual one? Uh, I think it was a replica. Replica of the Super Bowl trophy into the locker room under armed guard and said, is this what you want? Because apparently all the players get 225000 if they win the Super Bowl to try and encourage them and bring them a bit of motivation. So uh, do, do we like this as an approach to motivation? And what would we bring into a locker room to motivate people? <laughs> this is a good question, I must say. Um, I kind of like it, but I also don't like for the Saints, it's not a good look to bring a load of money in and say, like, if you want this, you know what you have to go out there and do. Kill the other team. Wait, what? No, I mean, uh, that never happened. <laughs> I think the only thing you need to bring in, you know, if you need to bring something in the locker room at, at short notice to give you a chance in the playoffs and exceed your talent level, bring Big Dick Nick into your ta- into your locker room Oh, sorry, inspire as a, your boys. As a Seahawks fan, I thought you were going to say Adderall. But, well, uh, <laughs> uh, well, obviously, bubble, nano-bubble water is very important mm. as well. 
I've seen uh, I've seen one doing the rounds today about this for the Chiefs, where it's like Andy Reid brings in a replica because of obviously the story in the White House where the guys who won the national championship and they had the, all the fast food. Yeah. It was uh, Andy Reid brings in a replica of the Super Bowl trophy and three hundred Big Macs into the middle. Like, Do you want this? Do you want to go out there and get this? Uh, and then it was actually a, a a test for the players that that was just the Super Bowl trophy was the encouragement. The food was his lunch, and anyone who <laughs> did not have the discipline to stay away from his lunch was immediately cut, and that's why Ron Parker is gone. It's like a really elaborate marshmallow test. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, so uh, we will we'll we'll knock into a few more of your questions later on. But obviously, we've got two big games that we want to preview that are upcoming. So let's move on to next week's game. Okay, so first off, we have the LA Rams at the New Orleans Saints. I have not actually picked for this one yet. I'm airing towards the Rams. Uh, but I also like my my heart says I'd like to see New Orleans in this game, but my head says the Rams are going to be able to do it. But the problem is I see both of these teams as so much more flawed than when they played earlier in the season. But even just what their form was earlier on, that I find it very hard to pick. Like you've gone for New Orleans, so do you want to tell me a bit about why? Partially because I've been saying New Orleans would win the Super Bowl since the beginning of the season, and I'm tied to my prediction now. Uh, <laughs> I think one major thing, obviously, as we saw in the divisional weekend, home advantage is a huge factor. I think the Superdome is a generally good home advantage. And as we saw with the Rams, they had a really good like like offensive showing in terms of running the ball. But I think like the Saints have been pretty good. Though. Obviously, Dallas were pretty good as well. But I think the New Orleans, will they, like with Dennis Allen, should have a good idea of what they need to shut down. I think that they will emphasize stopping the run and going man-to-man with people like Marshawn Lattimore to try and shut that down. I don't think that they will make the same mistake. And I think, yeah, what we saw with the Rams' offense uh, since the back half of the season is that if you can shut down their run game, the pass offense right now does look flawed. And with that defensive talent, uh, like in the defensive backfield talent that New Orleans has, which is a very surprising thing to say, uh, with Eli Apple as well and Marshall Lattimore, I think they can, they have enough talent to go man-to-man and do enough to allow the offense to get going and hopefully score some points. I think but is yes, lots of the likes of like Sheldon Rankins is that not going to hinder their ability to slow down that run game? Like, yeah, I think that means that they have to dedicate a bit more to it than they would like. That means they might have to go to seven, eight man boxes like more regularly to stop the run. But the simple fact of the matter is if you do stack the box against the run, you will usually stop the run. That that was basically different to Dallas. Dallas's game plan against the Seahawks and the Rams. They were stacking over eight most of the time against Seahawks. They were doing it very rarely against the Rams. Like against the Rams, you saw the difference uh, between those two games. And I think New Orleans will. I don't know if they'll sell out to stop the run, but they will scheme to stop the run and stack the box uh, necessarily to do that and adjust to, to do that. And I think it's just a situation where if it's Drew Brees, uh, like if it's Drew Brees versus Jared Goff and it becomes a passing type game, even with Drew Brees' loss of form down the stretch, you just kind of have to give it to Drew Brees as being the advantage here. But yeah, like if the like we saw what the Rams did against Dallas, if they can show that same kind of talent level, that same kind of game plan and make it work against New Orleans in their house, then yeah, obviously I think the Rams could win but I'm just trusting that New Orleans, they can sort something out, they can get it done, and that Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara and the offense have enough explosive plays between them that they can kind of get enough points. Uh, but this is a very, as you said, it's such a different game from what we kind of expected when we saw these teams last play each other. It, it, I don't, like, it, it's been such a weird thing to see these two, like these two NFC powerhouses turn mm. into such different teams on the stretch. It's just, and yeah, it's incredibly hard to call because of that. I don't blame you for not picking it. 
the, the thing that I find with it as well, though, is that, like, while they're both changing and they're not playing that way, I still see the potential for both of them to... Like, this is a game that could go to 43, 45 or something like that, you know? Uh, like, it's it's not that it's, it's impossible for them to just get rolling on each other, but it's so strange to see these now being defensive teams. Like, the things that are kind of swaying me a little bit towards the Rams are... One, they've got the two running backs who are performing well, and New Orleans' defense is a little bit more injured in terms of its its, its, its run defense and stuff like that. The return of Tlaib has been massive for their pass defense, so I can see that being a lot better. And also, like just Tlaib is, is better against number one receivers than Peters is, so whenever Peters is on the number two, he has much more success than he does otherwise. So that would give them a bit of a help there. Um, also, like, but but then I then I see issues like, you know, Obviously, their interior pressure is good, and they've been plugging the run well. But, like, Kamara can go outside, and they don't have speed coverage linebackers. So that could cause an issue for them. Like, there's just so much up in the air. Uh, like, I'm, I'm shading towards the home team, I think. I think you're right, because, like, Michael Thomas is there. They've got more weapons that are still healthy on offense. Yeah, I think that the big difference make like, it is a game where I, like, I've always, I've obviously hyped up Alvin Kamara in the past. Said I thought he's a better running back than Todd Gurley at some point in the yeah, season. Yeah, and, and, and I still think he's wrong. <laughs> uh, but I think, like, cause yeah, Michael Thomas is up against the keep to leap. They won't be able to shove him as full as many production as he had last week. And I think Alvin Kamara then becomes the key problem for the LA Rams defense to to, to fix. And I think depending on his day, Alvin Kamara could end up beating any, can beat any defense. And it's just a question of whether he has one of those days or not. And then whether those other complementary pieces on New Orleans can actually step up, like Traycon Smith, Kirkwood. And then, yeah, on the Rams, uh, we like I don't know if they'll run out the same offense they did against Dallas, run heavy, or if they'll return to their three wide receiver set and start passing the ball to Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, and Josh Reynolds. Uh, either could really happen. It's hard to know. And if they can mix those up, like New England mix up their offense, then that's a kind of combination that could make a huge difference. Yeah. I, I've just never seen a game where they've done both of them kind of uh, properly. They've kind of kind of gone between both. Uh, like like they've either done run heavy like they've done recently or they've had their three wide receivers. I haven't really seen them do both at the same time or the same game on a consistent basis. But yeah, I, like I think we both are very confused about what's going to happen, but uh, uh, we'll give it to the Saints at home because we're kind of wish casting a bit. No, of course. Uh, the other game that obviously, so I think I, I think I've sided with you. I think I'm going to go with New Orleans in that one. So uh, we're going to go to the other game, the one that I'm obviously massively involved in here at the moment, which is New England at Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. Because this is not a crappy dome stadium, we have to talk about a couple of things like the weather because we're men. Uh, it's apparently going to be freezing fucking cold, and I'm almost half glad I'm not in the stadium for how cold <laughs> it's going to be. It, it, it can get down as far as, like, minus 5 Fahrenheit, apparently, uh, which is, like, what, minus 15 Celsius or something? Or Yeah, I think it's even lower, perhaps. Yeah, that's that's horrendous. Um, the other news as well, which I think is great, is that it's going to be a Blood Moon game. Uh, so we're going to get an eclipse and a red moon above so the moon itself will be wearing kansas city red for this game so uh we're going to finally see the completion of the prophecy where tom brady turns into his teen wolf self and <laughs> balls out against us but then we are saved by Airbud when spencer Ware wolf comes out and catches a touchdown because you know what there's nothing in the rules that says a dog can't play football <laughs> yeah this should be a fun game <laughs> yeah I, I i like this is a game where 
you have obviously the the storyline with the quarterbacks, Pat Mahomes, the phenom, absolutely destroying everything before him this season with the most ridiculous kind of like throws that you could possibly see. Obviously, decent on his legs as well, uh, and, and just like kind of balling out. As we mentioned in the review for the last game, the addition of Sammy Watkins just adds that extra little bit of an extra question for a defense to have to contend with, which I think is really perplexing for even for a New England defense as good as Bill Belichick. Uh, and obviously Damian Williams uh, has, has been pretty good down the stretch. I certainly think they should try to establish the run a bit and not become too over-reliant on Pat Rohms uh, when it's not 100%. necessary. I think it's just like 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 that offense. It's so good, and of course now they face their ultimate test against New England. Bill Belichick obviously came out with a brand new scheme last week, and now will he come out with a new new scheme? Will he come out with something specifically tailored to stop this you, offense? You coke. Yeah, with this new this like this, this this particular offense, or will he just kind of try out more his more standard defense and trust them to get it done and kind of bend not break basically. But it's hard not to break when Pat Mahomes can throw the ball 60 yards with a flick of his wrist uh, <laughs> on average. But, uh, yeah, I think that, like it's those extra factors which I think could be the big thing because I think Bill Belichick will do enough to hope would basically not let Travis Kelsey get a, a first down on every single catch, maybe only like a third or a quarter of his catches. Yeah. And Tyreek Hill, obviously, he will be drilling into his players every single tell he can pick up from tape that it's a Tyreek Hill, it's actually going to him, it's not going to him, because that's what killed Indianapolis again and again, where they couldn't diagnose what Tyreek Hill running around the backfield actually meant. I think Bill Belichick is a next level. He needs to, along with his like generals on the field, like Devin McCourty, be super disciplined to make sure that they're not tricked by that. If they can do that, that makes the game a lot closer, and then we know on New England side what they're going to do. Like, uh, like, uh, like, what are you expecting out of New England in terms? What are you afraid of from New England in this game? Well, the thing is, like, like, what we need to remember is throughout the regular season, the Chiefs were the worst team against the rush. Like, we weren't able to stop that. And yes, our defensive line is doing exceptionally well in like pass rushing and and disrupting and all that kind of stuff. But like. For the most part, they didn't really try and go to us on the ground last week. I think there was 12 carries total, and those carries did pretty well. Marlon Mack averaged five yards against us. Naeem Hines averaged eight. Like, the fact that they were down probably pushed them away from the run, whereas if they actually dedicate to that run game, we're less good at dealing with that. The because the temptation is because we have a bad secondary that you should just go and test the secondary, but the rookies are a bit better and the pass rush comes into play then. Like, I honestly got to be more worried about them just running uh, Sonny Michelle and, and, and all those guys just down our throats for a lot of the time and keeping us, our offense off the field and keeping us cold on the sidelines. Like, I think we're going to know that and we're going to try and key in on that and, you know, the return to some of our injured players and stuff will allow us to scheme towards that a little bit better. The fact that our DBs have improved their play the last couple of weeks will free that up a little bit. But, like, in terms of what they can bring offensively, they're very effective. They've got good blockers for the run game. Gronkowski's not as good a tight end catching as he was, but he's an incredible blocker uh, and really helps set up that run game for them. So that could be an issue for us. In terms of defensively, I think Bill is good at scheming this stuff and their key is going to be kind of hiding what their coverage is. So when they got success against us in the previous game, it was having, say like having a cornerback move with a wide receiver whenever they move in the backfield to show that it's man, but then actually drop off into zone to try and confuse Pat Mahomes and his reads that worked for about 
20 minutes of that game and then Pat Mahomes figured out what was going on and came back at it. So like he used the moonstone to evolve into his next form. That's it. Like, He's like it, a Borg. Because <laughs> like so like you can take I, I, you're entirely right with your with your take on um on Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins is valued as offense. People don't really understand just how much it is because he pulls coverage away from Hill and from Kelsey and away from like swing passes to running backs and stuff because if you don't cover him he's a very very good receiver like in that game when we say like his presence on the field helped distract he only had i think it was one less catch than travis kelsey in that game he went for six catches 62 yards and one of them could have been a touchdown i think he had another one that was called back off a penalty as well like he's a very good Bizarrely, like second, third option in the in the in the passing game. So I, I'll be very intrigued to see how this goes. I see this going surprisingly high scoring because yeah. I think I think I think this is going to be like a slight like more constrained version of that Rams game on the Monday Night Football where there'll be a lot of scoring and a lot of big defensive plays. There won't be a lot of structural stopping, you know, fourth and punting kind of stuff. I think there'll be a lot of out scheming each other and then an, an awful lot of individual plays being made rather than it being a kind of schematic shutdown uh, on, on both sides. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm expecting, yeah, it should be, should, should be a good I, one now. I think like if you're, if, if you're scheming against new England, like obviously you need to mix things up and disguise things against Tom Brady. But I think if you're, if you're knocking about your default play, I think, yeah, you should be like, I think like, as you mentioned there, the run defense is a big thing. Uh, sell not sell out sell out to the defense play aggressive man to man think that your guys can beat them because yeah i know your like defensive backs are are pretty raw as it were but like mm. they're going up against like chris hogan philip dorsett and like, like edelman's pretty good but i think if you have eric berry back if he's playing as you can expect he can play then he gives you that little bit of insurance perhaps that you can play a little yeah. bit more risky on the end and trust that he can kind of sniff out what's happening uh, if, i just think you can't just, like basically you don't want to make the the mistake made by the chargers of playing his own defense allowing tom brady i think we spent most of this year doing man coverage because yeah. a lot of sudden scheme is man and the other thing that works somewhat in our favor just when you go by and this is the thing i say as a statistician you know you work stats as well that like we know that this is not true in every case but just like the numbers suggest that you have less success against tom brady when you rush more than four we never, we almost never rush more than four. We don't blitz as such. We just send, we've got our three or four or five guys who are good at going at it. And we just, in different combinations, try to just make it look confusing. We don't blitz. We occasionally stunt. We occasionally try and delay, but we don't send more. We make sure the coverage is yeah. there. The only the only reason that hasn't worked is because no one can fucking cover. Yeah. Like, and I, I, <laughs> and I, as I said, I don't think Tom Brady, has, his deep ball is that good anymore. I think it's not. if you're willing to go man a man, I don't think he's going to truly punish you on those type of big plays that Pat Mahomes does regularly that players like Russell Wilson can do. I just don't think you have to worry that much about it. Even the Philip Rivers was doing in that game. That was oh, yeah. the one thing where Philip Rivers was out playing Tom Brady. Tom Brady had a few tr- attempts at that, but they fluttered. They didn't go anywhere. They were easily uh, non-catchable. I think trust that Tom Brady can't throw it 
uh, 30, 40 yards on the leg and play aggressive. Oh, that's and, like I think I think uh, just pin the ears back, yeah. play man, and just hope yeah. that you can get to him before he can get the and, ball out. Yeah. And stay disciplined against the run. Just don't give them anything there as well. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, like that's the thing. Like you don't like play your play your safeties a little bit closer in. Presume that he's not going to be able to throw that deep ball and hope for Christ. And overall, basically, just a, like just work on the basis that as long as we get an equal amount of possessions, we'll just all score all the time, and whoever holds the ball last wins. God, Connor. Between all this analysis and uh, talk of Kyler Murray becoming a first round draft pick there's no reason why he couldn't have been a quarterback slash defensive coach in the NFL 100% 100% would have been great would have been great but yeah no I'm looking forward to that so I think we're a few of us are heading down to the Odeon for that one so the Odeon are doing one of the local NFL or not NFL not local NFL team local American football teams the Dublin Rebels I think are holding a thing in the Odeon so we're all going to pop down to that and have a couple of beers and watch some footballs and Hopefully be happy drunk and not sad drunk at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be deep into the night at that point. So Yeah, it'll be good. Uh, what about yourself? Any crack for the next few days? Uh, going to be pretty quiet as far as I can tell. But uh, yeah, I look forward to this uh, exciting set of matchups in the NFL. And we're all one week closer to the ultimate game. Yep, the Pro Bowl, baby. It's going to be great. <laughs> the only the only downside is that like, if, if these go as planned, there's going to be no Kansas City Chiefs players in the Pro Bowl. I'll be so sad because like, clearly it's a bigger mark. Like, it's, it's a bigger thing to win a Pro Bowl than it is to win a, win a Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, but like, you know, they can get the Pro Bowl next year. You know, you got to build to the ultimate prize. First, uh, get the prize. This, you know. this, this, this is the problem, though. It's looking, it's looking good. It's looking like we might not be able to constantly be building to the Pro Bowl anymore. <laughs> like I trust you this season, but uh, it's still the Chiefs. Uh, I imagine even if you go out to have a dynasty, you'll still manage to Chiefs it up a couple of seasons. Oh, 100 percent. I was having, uh, I was having great crack reading. Uh, someone linked me uh, today. There's an article from uh, who shall remain nameless uh, Yahoo sports writer who wrote a very long form piece after the Chiefs lost to the Titans last year but how uh, the most important thing that the Chiefs can do right now is fire Andy Reid and it was a phenomenal piece of reading that's, I've never uh, seen so much shit contained in one place outside of a toilet that's, that's Andy Reid's toilet <laughs> yeah Jesus Christ like it was yeah something else but, uh, but yes, I suppose as always, hit us up with questions online on the Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. I know we say this every week. We must actually figure out what the login for the Twitter is again. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I definitely got it written down somewhere. Um, but yeah, so we will uh, we will wrap up with that. So I suppose it's goodbye for myself. Goodbye from Ronan. Bye. Good all four quarters. Thanks so much for listening. I will chat to you uh, next time.